You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Before I tell you what's coming up on the show tonight, I have to give a shout out to Claire Scanlon from Monaghay in County Limerick, who is one of this year's Operation Transformation Leaders. Yep, it's that time of year when RTE helps get us back into the healthy zone and the very best of luck to all of the leaders but especially to Claire in West Limerick and who works for Palace Foods. It is January so healthy eating will feature tonight thanks to Kenmare foodie Karen Coakley. Paul O'Connor will be joining us on the phone to tell us about his new restaurant venture in Dublin which I believe is using lots of produce from County Tipperary. Acclaimed food writer John McKenna from Guides.ie will be taking a look back at his food highlights from 2015 in the form of his Megabytes Awards. And Beverly Matthews from Latitude 51 in Cork has details about upcoming Cine Cafe events. So that sounds interesting. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Now it's time to chat to John McKenna from guides.ie about his megabytes from 2015. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Happy New Year to you, John. Thank you very much, Sharon, and Happy New Year to you from a very wet West Cork, I'm afraid. Oh, yes, well, we can't complain too much about the weather because there's nothing we can do about it, unfortunately. But we're going to brighten up everybody's evening tonight by talking about your Megabytes highlights from 2015. It was a very good year. Uh, I think a very good year indeed. I think, and I think in overall terms, a significant one because I think a number of events and a number of people um, really got attention beyond our shores Um, and I think you need that you know because where you're seeking to develop a strong food culture it it works in tandem with a strong tourist culture and you want people to be saying oh yeah Ireland's Ireland's on my radar for 2016 you know along with Copenhagen San Francisco or whatever you you want to be up there with those sort of players so I think there's been a few important things this year or, or indeed I should say last year sorry 2015. One individual that certainly is helping to put Ireland on the map is your communicator of the year Mark Moriarty who won the best young chef in the world last year. Mark's achievement is really kind of extraordinary. Um, he's a very young man he's only 23. Uh, to win a competition like that is pretty much like climbing Everest without oxygen. Um, to come out as the best in the world is from a small country like Ireland is is kind of remarkable. I suppose for me as well, two other things really signalled Mark out. The first one is, of course, he doesn't have a restaurant. He does pop-ups. And I think that's really significant, you know, because he's he's not committing himself to a place where there's going to be a lot of bills and staff and different things like that. So he's, he's playing like a free agent, which I think is a very good thing. And the second thing I think which is significant is that, you know, at the end of Food on the Edge, which was pretty much our event of the year as well in Galway, um, Mark Moriarty kind of gave the closing speech. In other words, he followed some of the greatest chefs in the world. He's 23 years old, and he stood up and calmly and confidently closed the most important food conference that Ireland has ever had. I mean, I don't know about other people, but when I was 23, you know, I spent most of my time sort of lying down or else in a bar. So uh, it, it, these young people, Sharon, they, uh, they give me hope. Yeah, there's something definitely very special about Mark and about the Food on the Edge event, which you mentioned there, which is your event of the year. Yeah, it was kind of extraordinary. I mean, when you think <clears throat> that J.P. McMahon took a huge personal risk to do it, and I remember um, he got in touch with us and he's, uh, right at the start of the year, 
if we made a little film uh, with him about it. And he said, well, I'm going to bring all these guys here. <clears throat> so we sort of said, well, you know, how, how are you doing that? Are you in touch with their agents, whatever? And he said, oh, it's all on Twitter. It's all on Twitter. We just talk on Twitter. And we just thought, oh, my God, the guy's nuts, you know. Uh, and we pretty much kept thinking, you know, that JP was nuts. And then, you know, like, we turned up at the circus tent in Galway, and everything was rolling along, and we just thought, hang on a minute, he's, he's done it. He's actually, he's actually pulled off something kind of extraordinary, you know. And, I mean, of course, he's not alone in this, you know. Litfest in, um, in, in Ballymaloo was another major event, <clears throat> really done by Darina and Rory. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's down to individuals to have that drive, to have that vision, to have that recklessness, you know, to put yourself at considerable financial risk. And JP did it and came home with gas in the tank. And it really was an extraordinary, um, it was an extraordinary event. I mean, as we sort of said at the time, you know, if you have an academic conference, what you get a lot of academics. If you have a chef's conference, what you actually get is chefs who think like intellectuals. And I think that was what the remarkable thing about it. I must say, I personally found it one of the, I've been writing about food in Ireland for 30 years, and it, for me it's one of the absolute highlights of uh, anything I've ever witnessed in my whole, my, my whole writing about Irish food. Yeah, it really was uh, an incredible event, and it's, it sounds like it's going to be even better this year. Yeah, fingers crossed for 2016, yep. So you then, you've given JP your Philanthropoody Award, am I saying That's that right? right? Yeah, Philanthropoody, Poody, uh, <laughs> Philanthropoody. Philanthropoody is uh, a term that we coined, uh, and of course it sounds like a train wreck, it is a bit of a train wreck, it's the philanthropists who are also people who work quietly away, giving their time and their effort, um, uh, you know, on, under the radar. And it's like, you know, we were mentioning, for example, about, you know, Kevin Thornton and Roland Byrne, Wade Murphy and Caroline, Caroline Byrne from uh, Eurotox, you know, flying over to lobby people in Brussels about the TTIP. Um, I know in one of his newsletters, Contrast from the Apple Farm was, you know, lamenting the current state of the IFA and just saying, you know, people like me have served on committees to promote horticulture and we don't get a penny and we don't get our expenses. And then we find out there's people in Dublin holding in half a million a year. And, you know, and, and we, we felt it was important to acknowledge the work that people like Con do. But as I say, you know, with JP uh, to, 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 to organize and then to galvanize the conference uh, really was kind of extraordinary event. It really, it really was a re- remarkable. Uh, I know we don't bestow any honors uh, on people in Ireland, but certainly whatever food honors are going JP is, is worth them for the year 2015. And up in Galway then, it was one of your favourite places. Yes, I mean, I think Galway is really showing the way to go. And we we often find we need need to remind people that Galway used to be a really, really indifferent city in which to eat. Um, There were a few few standout places, but literally two or three. Loads of good pubs, of course. Um, But, you know, you go back to Galway 10 years ago, it was a city where you went to drink. It was not a city where you went to eat. The great hero of Galway cooking, of course, was out in uh, Drimcong, was Jerry Galvin. And there was nobody of his stature in, um, in the city itself. You look now today, 2015, 2016, you've Michelin stars, you've new places opening the time. Above all, you have quality right through the register, which is to say the coffee shops are good, the sandwich shops are good, the casual places are good, the pub food is good, the ethnic food is good, and then the cutting-edge places are terrific. And that's the secret of um, making a really successful culinary destination. If all you have is high-end restaurants, you don't have a culinary culinary destination because people can have a terrific meal for dinner, then they wake up in the morning. If they have a bad breakfast and then they get a plane home, they're actually going to remember the bad breakfast. 
So the breakfast has got to be good, the coffee's got to be good, the welcome's got to be good. And Galway has really managed something kind of remarkable in the last seven or eight years, you know, and, and has these incredible destinations. I mean, not just Anir and Loam, <clears throat> but also places like, you know, Sheridan's Wine Bar. There is nowhere in the world like Sheridan's Wine Bar. Um, I mean, every time I go there, like, I'm practically intoxicated before I've even had a drink, you know, just soaking up the atmosphere. And we need those mavericks and we need those crazy places. And Galway, Galway has lucked out in the last several years and it's gotten them, you know. And it's a good place for other people to follow suit. The restaurant of the year, though, you gave to Luna over in Dublin and it's, it's very new. It is very new. And I'll tell you the reason uh, why. I mean, this obviously in the year that was in it, there have been some really terrific openings. But what we thought was interesting about what John Farrell has done, I mean, John obviously is a serial restaurateur. You know, he's got Super Masu, Triple Seven, and Butcher's Block, and so on and so forth. But what, he, what he's got right here, and it's thanks really to Chef Carl Whelan, he's got the food right here along with everything else. Usually what John gets is everything else is great, and the food is, yeah, the food is fine. In Luna, the food is really good, and the food is really clever. And I suppose what we felt was particularly important was in the year 2015, where there has been such a significant recovery in Dublin, uh, he gave people a space in which to party. And, you, you know, you need party rooms. And I, I don't know about you, Sharon, but I've already begun to hear the stories about the extraordinary amounts of money people have been spending in Luna. Um, and, you know, is that a good thing? Yes, it is. Take the money from the bankers and give it to the restaurateurs. In my world, that's the perfect Robin Hood solution. So I think, you know, Luna brought style and chutzpah and, uh, and very good food, thanks to Carl Whelan. And they put it all together and fair play to them. I mean, they, they really created some success. And now Declan Maxwell is there as front of house. Indeed. Uh, I mean, pretty much the best FOH you can find anywhere on the planet, I think. So the, 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 every, everything there is, is uh, at 110%, really. And uh, for anybody who can... It's not cheap, you know, but if you can cobble the money together one way or another and save the taxi and walk all the way home, uh, it's, it's a big night out. It's a big event. Yeah, I definitely want to try that this year. I haven't got there yet, but I know a few people that have been there and it, co- it does come highly recommended. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the consensus has really been pretty uniform about Luna, you know, um, as I say, even including the, the fact that it's, it's pricey, which will often divide people. People will say, well, yeah, it was good, but, uh, but what everybody says, yeah, it was good, but it was expensive, but it was still actually really good. So, uh, I mean, John and the team have really got it, really got it right there. And the final award we need to talk about is the drink of the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the great thing about it is um, I'm not actually the world's biggest gin drinker, but um, I I do like good gin, and I really appreciate the fact that gin, like so many other things, you know, like bacon, like bread, like coffee, used to be this monotone. You had a couple of choices. There There were the major brands that dominated the market, most of them English. And, of course, we've seen in the last five years, in tandem with the craft beer explosion, we've seen the explosion in distilleries. And a whole lot more are in the line now, because like whiskey distilleries, for example, have to wait five, six years before they actually have a, a product to put on the shelves. So they've got to get all their capital investment up front. But gin is faster. And I mean, what we like this year, um, the, the award for the drink of the year went to Bertha's Revenge, which is a milk gin. It's based on, on, on whey from cow's milk. And, you know, it's been created really um, by Justin and Jenny Green with a few other people from, from Ballyvalan, one of the best country houses um, in North Cork and one of the best country houses in Ireland. And I just think the idea, you know, 
we come from a dairy culture to have a milk gin to be able to to do something like that and then to make i mean it's a sensational drink which if you do manage to get a bottle just pour a little bit of water into it uh, in other words drink it the way like a sort of whiskey distiller would drink whiskey just a little bit of, of water to release all the the phenols and it's it's just marvelous and best of all you know it commemorates a Kerry cow who lived till she was 49 years old and you put all those things together uh, but my feeling actually about birth is revenge is that it's actually going to conquer the gin world you know every once in a while an Irish product comes along and when you think our previous milk world conqueror was Bailey's I actually think Bertha's is going to be the new Bailey's. It's really going to go global, and I can't think of a better drink uh, to, to actually do that because it's, it's a beautiful drink, and as I say, its, it's origins chime so much with what we have as a food culture, and that's why it's the winner. Well, it, and, and what a, a worthy winner, as are all of the, the awards that you've given out. And if people want to find out more, if they pop on to guides.ie, they'll see them all there. John, great to talk to you this Thanks evening. Thanks very much, Sharon, and, and a very happy year and best wishes for 2016. And regards to Sally. Thank you very much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great as always to talk to John and I look forward to Sally and John finding more gems for us in 2016. Still to come tonight, Paul O'Connor will be joining us on the phone to tell us about his new restaurant venture in Dublin, which I hear is using lots of produce from County Tipperary. And Ken Mayor Foodie, Karen Coakley, has a healthy recipe to share that is perfect for this time of the year. Next, it's time to introduce you to Beverly Matthews. I met Beverly in the Drinks Theatre at Ballymaloo Lit Fest last year, and she's from Latitude 51 Wine Cafe and Wine Workshop in Cork City, which is the winner of the prestigious Georgina Campbell Wine Award of the year 2015. She hosts lots of really fantastic events throughout the year, and one which caught my eye is the Cine Cafe. Beverly joins me on the phone now to tell us more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Good evening, Beverly. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm great. And you have a very exciting event on next week in Cork. You run a Cine Cafe every month. Tell us what exactly that is. Okay, so Cine Cafe essentially is um, is, is a cinema, but with uh, showing movies with a food or a wine theme. And we interpret the movie through taste. So we call it movies you see in taste. Uh, so basically it's like our version of 3D or 4D cinema, if you like, where we would uh, show a movie that has, a, a, a let's say, a, a wine theme, and then we would do a tasting as part of that uh, part of the movie with a theme that ties in with whatever is discussed in, in the movie. And tell me, what have you done? What sort of movies did you do last year? Okay, so we had a we had a jam packed program last year, and we showed a number of um, wine movies. We did Psalm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. That's uh, following four master sommelier students on their journey to pass the hardest wine exam in the world, and we did our own little sort of exam as part of it. So blind tasting as part of that. Uh, we also um, we showed a year in Burgundy, which is um, it's sort of a documentary about um, winemakers. Uh, four winemaking families in Burgundy, and we had that was a collaboration. And so we had um, Le Caveau from Kil- Kilkenny came to do the tasting as part of that. And then we did some some food movies as well. We showed Chef. Um, so for that we had uh, a sort of Latino street food feast, 
Um, on the Chinese New Year, we showed Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Uh, we showed another. Uh, we did another collaboration with Ayers Cafe. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They're a cafe, an Indian cafe in Cork. We showed the Lunchbox, a very, very heartwarming movie, um, and that was that was great as well. Um, a hundred foot journey as well. So we've had a. We're running out of movies. That's the problem. <laughs> and you have a license to show the movies. It's it's we do. it's yeah, totally legal for you to do it with the MPLC, and uh, it allows us to uh, show uh, show movies that are uh, so we can either uh, we can rent them or we can um, download them, for example, from Netflix, or uh, and then we're allowed to show to show movies here, but we don't charge for the movies. What we do is we charge people for. For the tasting, okay. They come in and they have have a tasting. It, 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 as I said, it's it's really about things that you. It's in our interpretation of the of the movie through taste. So they're coming in to have a, a full on four D sort of experience. And the next one then is on the twentieth of January. Tell us a bit about it. What can you tell us about it? Because you're okay, not allowed to well say I'm the name of the movie. Say the name of the movie. Unfortunately, our, our license doesn't allow us to admit that. But it's really exciting because we're going to be collaborating with uh, uh, a, a, a very, very talented chef, uh, Japanese man called Takashi Miyazaki, and he's just recently won uh, Chef of the Year with uh, the award granted by John and Sally McKenna. Um, and I think he won a number of other awards last week, a very successful week for him. And so we're really excited about him coming to do a movie about a sushi master in a Tokyo subway station uh, who has a three-star Michelin, uh, uh, three Michelin star restaurant. And it's in, it's in the subway, as I said, it has about 10 seats. Uh, but this, this guy has a, has a waiting list for uh, years to, to go and uh, taste, his, taste his sushi, it's that good. So we have our own sushi master in Cork, which is Miyazaki, so we're really, really looking forward to collaborating with him on this and seeing what, he, what spin or what interpretation he puts on the movie. It sounds like a fantastic night, and the whole concept is, is excellent. Who came up with the idea? Uh, well, we, we sort of, we have a phenomenal room. Um, we're a wine bar in, in Cork City, um, but we have a great space upstairs. It used to be the old lobby bar, and it was a great music venue, uh, and it, it's just so versatile. We do a lot of wine tastings, we do a lot of wine courses, and we just, we're always looking for something new to, to, to do with the room. Um, and so as part of the Midsummer Festival, I think it was about two years ago, uh, we thought it would be good to do uh, to show a movie. Uh, so the obvious one that we thought of at the time was Sideways, um, and we did uh, the great de- the great grape debate, which was a Pinot Noir versus Merlot showdown. So we had a tasting of three different Pinot Noirs from around the world and three different Merlots, and then got the audience to decide which they preferred. And it was good. It's all good fun. I mean, it's it's just to bring something different um, to the social scene in the in the city. Uh, and it's also like we, we love food, we love wine, um, and we have the ability to be able to um, to do events around around those because of this, this great room that we that we have. So I would Im- I would imagine that you have a lot of regulars that come every month and that come regularly to the different events that that you host because it's not just the Cine Cafe. You you do lots of other different events. We do indeed, yes. We have, uh, we have a number of tastings. We, we try and do about three or four different events uh, a month. And we have, yeah, we have a lot of people who 
come to their their regulars. They they come every every month. They sign up and come along to to the to the event, and they sell out quite quite quickly. Uh, so next next month actually is going to be a very very actually this month and and next month they're going to be very very busy uh, busy for us because we have our uh, wine appreciation course wine fundamentals series which is a four week course starting on uh, starting uh, next week um, on the sixteenth and then we have a, a riesling tasting and in memory of Joe Carwig who sadly passed away in November of last year we were scheduled to do a tasting with him a wine tasting riesling tasting with him in November but unfortunately he, he passed away he had selected the wines so we thought it would be nice to do something in memory of him it's so lovely, yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to uh, do a tasting of I think it's six Rieslings we'll do canapes to match and uh, all proceeds are going to go to um, the Simon community which is a charity selected by Joe's family so that's going to be something we're, we're, we're really going to try and, and honour the great man who who was uh, incredible for German wine but also for Riesling, his knowledge on Riesling was just uh, just incredible so yeah, that's. I think that's a lovely thing to do in his, his memory, and lovely for the for his family also. Yes, indeed. I think um, I think it's it, it's nice for them to to be able to continue on um, the great work that that he was he was doing, and he's got a fabulous team around him as well. That uh, um, and I think uh, his son Jorgen, Jorgen uh, who's a very very knowledgeable in wine, is going to come along in the evening to to uh, to do the tasting with with Marcus as well, who also works for. For uh, Carwig, so we're very, we're really looking forward, looking forward to that. And again, it's 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 proving very popular. It's uh, it's uh, a lot of people signed up for it already. So I'm sure we'll have a we'll have a good a good night for him or in in memory of him. And your venue is no stranger to charity type events because last year Joe McNamee and Leslie Williams from the Irish Examiner, they hosted a night for Pieta House, was it? They did indeed, yes. Um, so we hosted in, uh, last November, we hosted uh, an, an evening called The Menu Cooks the Menu, because if you're aware of, uh, familiar with Joe's column in the, in the Irish Examiner, it's called The Menu. So uh, he wanted to uh, do an event uh, for, uh, for Pieta House, a very, very worthy charity. Uh, so we said we to um, this event called the Menu Cooks the Menu, where basically Joe shows ingredients listed or that he uh, talks about or writes about in his in his weekly column. Uh, and then we had the wine guy pours the wine. So Leslie Williams was sommelier for the evening, and that was a lot of fun. And um, so we we had um, um, a lot of wines to match each of the each of the courses, and, and Joe did a fantastic job in a makeshift kitchen that we put up for him. Uh, and it was it was great, and we raised a lot of money for charity. So uh, absolutely delighted with with how successful that was, and the generosity of all of the suppliers and producers, the local food producers who contributed and made the event um, so successful. I have heard that Joe McNamee is a great cook. It sounds like it's true. He is an incredible cook. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. It's nice to know that somebody is able to put their uh, their, their money where their mouth is because he's. He obviously is is he's he's very well regarded uh, as a as a food critic, uh, but it's great to see that somebody who who um, talks the talk is also able to walk the walk. So it was great great to taste his food and and just see him at work. A really really incredible um, 
uh, just uh, very inspiring, very, very creative. He's not the only food critic and food writer to have showcased Latitude 51 in the past because you yourself, your business has won a number of different awards and been recognised by a number of food writers and wine writers. Most recently would have been Tomas Clancy in the Sunday Business Post. That's correct, yeah. We're delighted uh, to make uh, the Sunday Business Post uh, top 10 wine bars in the country. So delighted absolutely with that. Putting, putting cork on the, on the map from a, from a wine, wine bar perspective because I suppose up to a number of years ago there was very little choice uh, in terms of what was available from, uh, from the wine um, like lists. We just were very frustrated because lists we found were very, very limited and there wasn't a whole lot of choice. Um, now things are, are really, really progressing we, but it's not just us. It's, it's, there's a lot of really exciting venues out there. Uh, another one we're big f- fans of is the Black Pig in Kinsale. Incredible, uh, incredible wine lists and uh, knowledge of wine and so on. So really doing a lot for uh, for, for wine uh, outside outside of the, the pale, you know. And it's good to see these these things um, being awarded uh, in in the, some of the some of the smaller cities. So on the 16th of January, we're kicking off with our first in the four-week series of the Wine Fundamentals course. Uh, so if anybody is interested, they're more than welcome to uh, send, us, send us an email on info at latitude51.ie and we can send on uh, information if anybody is, wants to know a little bit more about that. Then on the 20th, we have our Cine Cafe with uh, uh, Takashi Miyazaki, so our Japanese sushi night. Uh, and then on the, uh, we have two events actually coming up um, at the start of February. We have a Chilean pop-up night. So we have a, there's a Chilean wine journalist, uh, Francisca, uh, Francisca Dara, who's coming to do a Chilean tasting and really showing us Chile as we've never seen before because um, it's uh, very, uh, I think for years we've been, we've been inundated with a lot of very ch- sort of cheaper wines from Chile. But there's a lot of very exciting things happening there now. So she's determined to show to show us the, a really different side to Chile. So that's happening on the 10th. And then uh, the 16th of February, we have our uh, In Memory of Joe, the Riesling Tasting for, for Joe Carwig. Great to talk to you, Beverly. Lots of fantastic events there. The web address is latitude 51ie .ie. Perfect. And thanks for your time this evening. Good luck with all of the events. And no doubt we will catch up at Ballymaloolit Fest in May. I hope we will indeed. Thank you, Sharon. Happy New Year to you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, we've heard John McKenna's 2015 Megabytes highlights. And just before the break, Beverly Matthews from Latitude 51 Wine Cafe and Wine Workshop in Cork gave us an insight into some of the events taking place there. If you missed any of the show so far tonight, it will be up in the podcast later in the week. And you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or using the podcast app. Next, it's time to hear Paul O'Connor and he's going to tell us about his new restaurant venture, Farm Hill in Dublin. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. 
Paul, you're very welcome to the programme to talk about Farm Hill Restaurant, your new restaurant venture. Tell us a bit about it. Hi, Sharon. Good evening. I'm delighted to be talking to you. Um, now, how Farm Hill came about was because my, well, you know, I have a history of working with food producers, um, particularly the Tipperary food producers. And um, lots of my friends and over the years have said to me, why don't you open a restaurant? Why don't you open a restaurant? And I thought, you know, I don't have the experience and I've never had the background. And I've, in fact, never up to 10 weeks ago, I've never waited on a table in my life. So the obvious thing was when, when it came about to thinking about it and deciding to move on it, um, I spoke to my friend, my long friend, um, Keith Hallisey, who has worked in restaurants all of his adult life. Uh, and I said, are you interested? And he said, yeah, let's go for it. So that was like kind of late 2014. And then in early 2015, we spoke with our friend uh, Jeff Boyle when I was out to lunch with him, and he expressed a huge interest in being involved. So the three of us decided to sit down, make a plan, and on the 15th of October 2015, we opened a farm hill in Goatstown in Dublin. Uh, for those of you who don't know where Dublin very well, Goatstown is very close to Dundrum, the Dundrum Town Centre. We're only about a 10-minute walk from the, the, the Lewis Line in Dundrum, but... Um, so we're in the heart of County Dublin and uh, loving it, I have to say. When you first had the discussions about the restaurant, you must have had a vision of what you wanted it to be, what sort of food you wanted it to be serving, the hours that it was going to be open. We did, and we, but also um, that, that has progressed over the period from the time we thought about it to the time we actually opened the door. And in fact, since we opened the door, it has progressed further. But what we did, what we wanted initially was a, a residential neighbourhood restaurant. That was our first sort of vision, and we, we looked for venues. And I thought, you know, a good local restaurant that people go to where... You're remembered when you go in the door. You're not just anonymous. Where people remember where you like to sit, what you like to have, whether you like, you know, something special, something different. You know, we wanted service was and 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 the quality of the food were foremost in our head. And it was like it was one of those moments where we progressed from thinking about it to actually getting there. When I thought of all of the food producers that I've worked with over the years, um, in particular the Tipperary food producers who. Whilst I started off just working for them, uh, looking after the social media part of things, I've actually become their friends now. And I've been fortunate enough to go to London with them for the Guild of Fine Food Awards and other things. So we've become really good friends. And I thought, what better way to bring that friendship forward but to put them on the menu? So, like, now we have Inch House Black and White Pudding on our menu. We have Crow's Farm, Bacon and Sausages, Cross Oak Preserves, Jams and Marmalades. Um, Boulevard Farm ice cream which in my opinion is the best ice cream in the country and even Pat Whelan's beef dripping on our on our spuds on, um, with our Sunday roast you know so um, as well as other producers from around the country but I, I started with those producers because I knew them they were my friends I could pick up the phone and say talk to me this is what we're trying to do can we do this can we get a distribution going where you know you can deliver to us weekly so it's great it, it, and it's working lovely my life has changed my life has changed completely from someone who sort of dined in restaurants all the time to someone who works in restaurants most of the time I still I still manage to get out of this <laughs> as you know Sharon um, but uh, it, it, it's it's really the progression from, from when we started to where we are now and it continues to, to change um has been incredible and really, really interesting. I love it. It's very exciting. It's long hours and hard work, 
but it's rewarding and it's really rewarding. And on Christmas Eve, it was so rewarding to work on Christmas Eve and for people to stop us as they were going out the door and say, thank you for making our Christmas Eve nice. And I was like, that was, to me, that was a first, you know, um, having had my, my background. Well, my background was retail, so I was used to working with people, but this was different. And you and you're you have a very important role in there because you're kind of you're the chief taster I hear, Paul. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I am, yeah, yeah. The other two might disagree with me at times, but I am. Um, so we, we went through a process, obviously, when before we opened for initially we opened for breakfast and lunch, um, where we'd have days where we were tasting um, all the different food elements and every part of it before it went to the menu, and until such time as I was happy with every single dish. Um, I, I I wouldn't let it go on the menu, you know. And obviously, this was in discussion with Keith and and Jeff too. But I was the one would would for the most part would stop and say, actually, no, I'm not happy with that. I'm not happy with that. Um, and that continues today because we're we're hopefully opening our, our, our pizza menu next week. Um, adding our pizza menu next week. We opened what about ten? What did we open the fifteenth of October? So. We were in the run from 15th of October to Christmas where things just got busier and busier and it got hectic. And whilst we had the pizza oven there all along, um, I was kind of not happy. And nor were the other guys either, actually, but I just wasn't happy with the pizzas. We said, you know what, we're too busy. Let's wait till after Christmas and we'll work on that. So we have, um, we, we, we're, we're, we're tasting those this week. It's hard life, Sharon. <laughs> it so, certainly sounds like it. Now, you mentioned Keith Hallisey there and he has a he has a very impressive CV. That's right. Well, he's worked in, in restaurants all his adult life, not just in Ireland, in, in, in Miami and in Sydney. and um, But in Dublin, he's worked in um, Peacock Alley for uh, Conrad Gallagher when it had a Michelin star. Um, he's managed the tea rooms in the Clarence Hotel and, and you know, lots of other restaurants around there. He'd be very well known and he was nominated for Restaurant Manager of the Year in the OREI Awards. So he's, he's highly regarded and he's wonderful because I, I'd certainly be lost without him because he knows how to manage a restaurant and I certainly don't. As I said, when I was... Um, when I was a student in UCD, I uh, I worked for my dad because he had his own business, so I didn't wait on tables as many other people did. So the first time I waited on a table was the day we opened Farm Hill on the 15th of October. And I'm telling you, I wasn't great. <laughs> well, I'd say now you're saying your father was a shoemaker, so you'll know the importance of a good pair of shoes whenever you're oh, doing that job. Oh, do you know what? For the first two weeks, Sharon, my legs took a different life to the rest of my body. My feet and my legs, they actually felt like a different part of me. Now, I'm well used to it now, but it took two whole weeks. And when I'd go home at night time and lie down in bed, it actually felt like my legs were on a different part of the bed. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I've got used to it now and I've gone down a uh, jean size in my, my, my jeans. So I'm perfectly happy with that. And despite having food around me all the time. Yeah, that's the combination then of not getting out to wine and dine as much as, as you used to, but then the all those steps that you're taking day uh, in and day uh, out, waiting the uh, tables. Absolutely. And and but what, I've, what I have discovered and what I've got better at is when I go in first thing in the morning, I try to have a breakfast very quickly um, because sometimes you think, oh, I'm not really hungry. I'll wait till 11, 11.30 or something. And then it just gets hectic and we're really busy through breakfast and to lunch and then and so on. And then you realise it's four o'clock and you haven't eaten and you wonder why you're slightly weak. So I've actually improved myself now and I say to myself, right, sit down. Everything is kind of regimental now and sit down and have a look at emails and have a 
and breakfast and then at four o'clock when we get through the, the, the lunch service I'll sit down and have some, some lunch or dinner you know We must talk about your head chef Michelle Wickham yeah, yeah, Michelle. Well, this is Michelle's first uh, time to be a head chef. She's worked in various restaurants in Dublin. Um, most recently, she worked this summer in Chapter One. She's also worked in Etto and Marion, Marion Row, which has a bib gourmand. And she's really progressing our dinner menu. I mean, that's her job at the moment. She, you know, two, two things I'm not particularly fond of are beetroot and goat's cheese, but she does this amazing beetroot and St. Tola's goat's cheese risotto that is absolutely to die for and it's going down a bomb on our dinner menu at the moment you know so um, she's she's doing terrifically well we're delighted with her and delighted to have her on board um, and, and our whole team and our whole kitchen team you know and it, it takes time there have been challenges there that whilst I always knew there would be challenges sometimes they were a little more challenging than I had envisaged but uh we're certainly, we're certainly very happy with the way things are progressing in Farm Hill, you know. You mentioned Eto and its Bib Gourmand. What is your vision now for Farm Hill for 2016? Are you hoping to get a Bib Gourmand? Oh, do you gosh, want to win no. a few awards? Like, what what oh. do you want to achieve in the next 12 months? Well, what, what, what I want to achieve is to be a very good local neighbourhood restaurant that people want to go to, where... All of our staff members remember them when they come in the door. You know, the front of house members know who they are, what they are, what the likes are, what the dislikes are, and that we serve good quality food, in particular with a heavy emphasis on Irish produce um, and, and, and quality, very good quality Irish produce. Um, what we want to be is a good local restaurant. And, and from the very start, we set out to be that. We didn't set out to be anything more than that. And we certainly wouldn't be aiming to be a bib command or anything like that, um, as lovely as it would be. But that's not what we want to be is your go-to restaurant in, in Goatstown, you know, for our locals. And we have built up a good, really good rapport with the, the neighbours who know our names now, you know, when they come in and, you know, would ring us up and say, you know, hi, Paul, or hi, Keith, or whatever, can I have a table for a usual table or whatever? And, you know, I mean, you know what the, the likes and the dislikes, the type of bread they like and the type of bread they don't like. You know, it's little, little things like that. Um, that's, that's to, to, to be a good local restaurant, neighbourhood restaurant, is all I would hope to achieve. And I think we're, we're, we're there, you know. You're open for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then brunch at the weekends. We are, yeah. We're, we're not open Mondays at the moment, at least. We open Tuesday to Friday for breakfast and lunch from 9am to 12 and lunch from 12 to 4. We're open Saturday and Sunday for brunch and then dinner. Before Christmas, we were open for dinner from Wednesday to Saturday. And this weekend, we're opening Thursday, Friday, Saturday, back, you know, after Christmas, back open for dinner Thursday, Friday, Saturday from 5.30pm as well. And uh, we will be going on to um, Wednesday for dinner as well, shortly once we get the, the our pizzas open, hopefully next week. <laughs> well, best of luck with it, Paul. I'm sure it's going to be a resounding success. It sounds like it has been already. And I look forward to visiting on my next trip to Dublin. We'd love to see you here, Sharon. Thank you very much for talking to me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks, Mina. We'd love to see you in Farm Hill at some stage. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Paul O'Connor was making our mouths water. 
talking about the delicious produce that is served in Farm Hill Restaurant in Dublin. And earlier in the show, John McKenna from Guides.ie shared his 2015 Megabytes highlights. And Beverly Matthews was also on the phone. She's from Latitude 51 Wine Cafe and Wine Workshop in Cork. And Beverly gave us an insight into some of the events taking place there this year. If you are just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or using the podcast app. Time now for the final interview of the evening and no better way to end it than with a recipe from Ken Mare Foodie, Karen Coakley. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Happy New Year to you, Karen. This is the first time that we have spoken to you in 2016. Happy New Year, Sharon, and what a pleasure it is. It is the middle of January and some people, before we get on to a nice healthy recipe that you have for us, some people might have a lot of rubbish left over, so like chocolate boxes Absolutely. of chocolates, tins there's of sweets. Always, there's always chocolates lying around for like weeks after Christmas and um, you can say they're for Valentine's Day if you're that good or that way inclined, but for me, I tend to use them up and... You know, let's say now you've got the boxes of celebrations and miniature heroes and a lot of them have the, let's say, the normal little, like the plain birth chocolate, like the dairy milk or the the dark chocolate. And they're ideal for like chocolate mousse or um, hot chocolate. I used these last year. I think I put it up in my blog. Um, I literally melted all those down and like made hot chocolate for the boys. But what I have done myself, um, it was actually a few weeks ago when Christmas ended up, ended. I did a chocolate mousse cake. It's a Mary Berry recipe. So if you Google it, you'll come across it. It is the easiest cake to do. And it was absolutely fantastic. And what I did was we had crunchies lying around. So I sprinkled the crunchies, broke up the crunchies, and that was my topping. But you could actually put the crunchie through the mousse if you wanted to, and maybe even put a drop of rum in there. But I'm telling you, it's absolutely delicious. So basically what you had was you had a sponge cake on the bottom, when that came out of the oven, what I had to do was, I think it was two tablespoons of brandy. I had to rub that over with, um, what's it called? You know, things for egg washing, Sharon? The little brush yolk. The little brush. Yeah. The brush, that was it. I had to brush the brandy over the cake while it was still hot. And that smell for me, it was just wow. So I had to let the cake cool. It's like a two-step cake. So you make it today and you eat it the next day. And so let that cool. And then literally make up a chocolate mousse where you melted your... Um, dark chocolate or your darker milk chocolate whatever you wanted to throw in there over the the saucepan of water and add it in your cream until you had your chocolate ganache or sorry your mousse and then like just literally folded all of that in you put that then on top of the cake in the tin leave it in the fridge overnight to set and the following day you've got the most beautiful chocolate mousse cake now she doesn't make a ganache for hers but my teen insisted that I make a ganache. So then we just Googled another recipe and we found a recipe for a chocolate ganache. And actually, very interestingly on that, seeing as how it's January and people are into healthy eating and clean living, I ran out of cream for my chocolate ganache and I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? Was pushed for time. I didn't want to go to town and I thought, okay, there has to be a way around it. There has to be a vegan um, substitute for a chocolate ganache. So I Googled and what came back to me was coconut milk. And chocolate. Okay. So what I did was I said, okay, I'm going to give this a try. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, I'll hop in the car and go to town. I melted my chocolate, poured in my coconut milk. I had a kind of coconut milk in the press and it worked perfectly. You would genuinely not know the difference. 
So for like that, anybody who is stuck or anybody who's looking for a vegan chocolate ganache, there you go. Perfect. I'm sure that makes it healthy then if you're using coconut milk. A little um, bit yeah. healthy. <laughs> <laughs> we yep. tell ourselves it is anyhow. Yeah, um, it is. It is a great way to get rid of. I think a lot of people think, oh, right, OK, I'm going to wait until the end of January and I'll start in February because January the 1st is really too soon to be getting straight into the healthy eating. So that's yeah. a great recipe to use some of that up or even just no matter what sort of desserts you're doing, like to sprinkle some of the crush up your little chocolates and sprinkle them over as well yeah. for a garnish. Or if you wanted to make a chocolate mousse, I'm sure you could, you know, the caramel bars or anything like that, you know, just you could melt those through it or, you know, into brownies or rocky rolls for Maltesers, you know, things like that. But as well, you, you touched on something there when you said, you know, everybody's into like this healthy eating at the start of January. And I saw something there recently and it was um, one of the magazines had the comfort food issue at the start of January and somebody said, thanks be to God, a bit of normality. You know, there are people out there who just, you know, don't want to change or who are quite happy eating what they're eating. So, you know, it's good that some of us are into the healthy eating and, you know, the clean eating and all that. But, you know, you still have to cater for people who just are enjoying their food. And you have a lovely, healthy recipe for us this month. I do. It's a Vietnamese beef noodle soup, it's called. Pho Bo. Here we go with... um, trying to pronounce things again Sharon <laughs> you never make it easy Karen <laughs> no I don't I, I think you're supposed to say phobo or something like that but I just say phobo it's P-H-B-O and it's a Vietnamese beef noodle soup and like that I came out of Christmas absolutely gorged myself silly and got to the stage of where I just couldn't cope anymore so I personally wanted to have some like really healthy food and this is one of the things that I cooked and what it is, is you basically, you make an Asian beef broth. Now, I went to my butcher here and she sees me coming in at my phone all the time because I'm looking for recipes and Googling and she'll say, oh, what is it today? So I had to get off of her some shin beef and some marrow bones. And that's the start of your Asian beef broth. So I put those into a stock pot, covered them with five liters of water. This is a Rick Stein recipe, by the way. So it's not on my website, but I'm sure if you Google it, you come across it and it's one it's well worth doing so I covered the beef bones and the beef shin with water and then I had to bash up um, shallots and garlic and dry fry those put them in on top of that some spices there was star anise there was cinnamon there was fennel seeds dry fried those and put them in on top of that and then put in some um, cloves and some black peppercorns I simmered that like you would for any stock for about five or six hours and let it cool overnight. So the following day, you've got this beautiful, fragrant, aromatic, really light and healthy, though, Asian beef broth. And because you let it cool, what happens is all the fat will rise to the top. So the following day, you can just skim the fat off and you've got a really healthy, delicious, really nutritious broth. And that's your basis then for fobo. So to make the fobo, what you do is you reheat this broth, bring it back up to the boil. You add in some fish sauce, some spring onions, and I like to add in pak choy because I just love that as a vegetable, especially in stir fries and things like that. And I'm trying to be good and I'm trying to eat a load of greens. You, and you, let's say, just let those cook so that the pak choy is just wilted. And then you cook some noodles. I use rice noodles because I'm trying to stay off wheat at the moment. Um, and they're really delicious. So you cook your rice noodles and then you get some fillet steak. Now, it's only one piece of fillet steak. I think it's 10 ounces. Would that be right? between four of us so there's very little beef in this but again it's just healthy and nutritious 
So what you do is you very, very finely slice that beef. You make it like wafer thin. And the idea is you get a big bowl and in the bottom of the bowl, you put in your cooked noodles with the pak choy and you, you put in your cooked noodles. Then you pour your broth over it with the pak choy and the spring onions. And you put your beef into that. And because the beef is so thin, the hot broth will cook the beef straight away. And then what you do is you get some lime, loads of lime, squeeze that over it, some finely chopped red chilies, lots of mint, coriander and basil. And that's it. I want to ask you about the pak choy. Like how many pak choy do you put into it? Do you put like one per two, for every two people, for example, and cut it in half so everybody gets half a pak choy each? Or do you I would, cut it up? Yeah, yeah. Like the pack, when I buy it in packs, there's usually two in the packs. I probably would use it too. I'd, I'd kind of finely slice it, you know, kind of lengthways um, from top to bottom. And then I put that in. But then also what I do, I mean, as I said, this is the Rick Stein recipe. It's absolutely delicious. But I was researching and I looked up, I have an old, a really old Madhu Jaffrey book. I think it dates back to 1970s. It's like just a plain old green book. Fabulous recipes in it. And I googled her full bowl. Now, while I, I went for his recipe, because I'd seen him cook it on TV, she served hers with a red pepper paste. So I thought, okay, I could see that working. Because for me, I like to add in sriracha sauce or something like that. That's like another chili sauce. So I decided to make my own. So basically, it's... Three uh, red, three dried, three, God, three dried chilies which you soak in water, and then you blend them with some sugar, a full red pepper, and white wine vinegar. So you get this really kind of almost sweet, sour, spicy um, pepper sauce. So I put that over it at the very, very end, and then the whole thing is just amazing. And the noodles would make it filling. You're getting your carbs there from the noodles. You're getting your carbs from the noodles. Um, you're getting a protein because you've got like, you've, okay, you've got the beef stock, but like when I got my marrow bones, I remember when I was a child, my dad used to like, we always had, we used to have lamb chops and I remember I used to feel I'd suck the marrow out of his bones because I was mad for it. Now I wouldn't be sucking marrow now, but there's like the shin or the beef bones, the marrow bones that I get from my butcher, they're full of marrow in the centre. So when it's cooked, what I do is I squeeze it out and give that to the dogs. I was going to Can say, you, your dogs must love that. My dogs love me. <laughs> so, but can you imagine all the goodness in that? It's kind of thing that, you know, I just think, you know, you always hear in the movies, you know, in America when they're sick, their mom makes chicken noodle soup. Mm-hmm. And That's right, yeah. for me, this is that kind of a thing. It's just, it's, what is it? It's comforting. It's substantial. Yet it's light. It's filling. It's just perfect. I was surprised about the lime just going into it. Oh, yeah. Which for me, it's like the holy trinity of, let's say, Far Eastern food, and especially around that area, would be lime, chilies, coriander, basil. Like I know in Thailand, they've got Thai, they Thai basil, but like I mean, regular basil here, I'll use all the time. Coconut there, and they're just all of those marry very well together. Fantastic. Well, it does sound like a delicious recipe. Have you been Snapchatting it, Karen? Because I know you're big into Snapchat I'm at the moment. Not in Snapchat. <laughs> a lot of the listeners won't even have a clue what Snapchat is, which is totally well, fine. It's a social media platform. For the younger generation, I'm told. I know, thanks, Sharon. You're so good. No, um, like I've had it on my phone for about two years, and I was like, no, not going there. It's only for teens. And then I kind of saw that a few of the bloggers were using it, and I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. So back in December, I just put it back on my phone and um, started to follow a few bloggers. And I suppose at like that, you get ideas and inspiration. 
So basically what I am doing, if anybody is there, I'm Kinmer Foodie, and it's all lower, lowercase. I'm um, doing vlogs. So everything I cook all day, every day, I'm making videos of and I'm uploading them so you can follow everything. Um, everything I'm doing is there. And I'm getting great feedback, Sharon. How do you manage to do that whenever you're cooking and you need your hands for that and you're videoing God at the same time? Knows. I've become an expert at one hand in cooking. <laughs> Fair play to you. <laughs> Okay, well, that's a great recipe and um, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter and you are on Snapchat as well. Ken Merfidi or Karen Coakley, you know, people will find you if they do a search for you there. And we look forward to to talking to you again in a couple of weeks, Karen. Thanks, Minion Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Okay, now before I wrap it up this evening, a shout out to Cork Coffee Weekend, which starts this Friday and is on until Sunday. Lots of interesting events being staged in various venues around the city, so be sure to check out the Cork Coffee Weekend Facebook page for details. An ideal opportunity to showcase some of the smaller coffee outlets in the city. And in Belfast this month, the Out to Lunch Festival is on until January the 31st. There's a number of different acts from music to comedy to Susan Boyle and her Wine Goose Chase show, which is featured here on The Best Possible Taste. Visit cqaf.com for full programme details. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much for tuning in and to guests John McKenna, Beverly Matthews, Paul O'Connor and Karen Coakley. Until the same time next week... Bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.